Would you turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. For those of you visiting, we're on a year-long journey through uh, the book of Mark. Uh, We've made it all the way through to chapter 10. It's August, so we should arrive at the end of it, hopefully, if Neil's got his sums right by the end of the year. I think we'll be looking at the Easter story at Christmas, which will be... (laughs) See what Neil does with that one. God bless him. Okay, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms place his hands on them, and bless them. I've just realized I've not got the clicker. Is there a clicker there I can grab? Thank you very much. I'll confuse myself, you see. Thank you. So this morning we're looking at the relationship between disciples and children. We're looking at what it meant for Jesus' disciples when they had to deal with children. And we're looking at what it means to us today as disciples of Jesus when we have to deal with children. The definition that we're using of a disciple is one that Neil gave us a few weeks ago, which is someone who is learning the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. Someone who is learning the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. I really love this description when Neil gave it to us of a disciple because it kind of, it's a very now in the moment sort of description, isn't it? What does it mean for me to be a disciple of Jesus right now, right here, today, in this moment? And what it means for me might be different tomorrow in terms of the way I respond. When I'm in a different circumstance, in a different situation, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, how I have to respond, will be different in that situation and so on. It's a kind of a describing, a real on-the-job sort of training, isn't it? And when we talk about children and what it means to be a disciple, the first thing that springs to mind really is being a parent. Because being a parent is the absolute, ultimate, on-the-job training. It's a moving target. What it means to me to be a parent today will be different to what it means to me to be a parent in four years' time, ten years' time, as your children grow. It means a different thing to be a parent, how we respond, what we do. It's ever-changing, kind of a bit like the description we're using of a disciple. I remember... Someone asking my dad when I was about 13 years old, I have a brother who's four years older than me, and someone said to my dad, when you were bringing up your boys, what was the most difficult age? And my dad replied with whatever age they are at the moment. (laughs) He must have been talking about my brother, obviously, and not myself. But I remember when we were expecting Daniel, who's our our eldest, who's now... I know, yes. I'm going to make a real mess of this. There's pictures and all sorts. It could go horribly wrong. I'll defer to Claire for any comments I make about the children. But in my mind, Daniel was our first child, and I was so focused on the day that he was going to arrive, which was his, his due date was the 9th of November 2002. I hadn't really thought what was going to happen after that date. I just got that date in my mind. He arrived on the 11th. He was late, started as he means to go on. I told him this morning we should have labelled him lastminute.com rather than Daniel. That would have been a more fitting name. But he arrived, and I remember thinking about four days in, I am never going to sleep again. 
Claire and I, neither of us cope well without our sleep at all. And so by about day four, it's like, how are we going to get this baby to sleep? And I remember on about day five, I went upstairs and put him to, in, to sleep. And he went straight off. And in my naivety and what I realized, stupidity, I came down to Claire and said, I've sorted it. I know what we've got to do. I assumed that being a parent that day, the next day and the day, it would be exactly the same. <laughs> Needless to say, my lash, you know that that's not the case. It changes. Being a parent changes. Made me smile. I was reminded of that story when I saw this picture on Facebook. For those of you who don't know, this is Tony and his son, Sam. And Tony posted this on Facebook. And Tony's quite good on Facebook, some of his comments. And it really made me smile because next to it, he put this comment. Morning nap, do I risk a cot transfer? Anyone who is a parent knows. You've got the child asleep, you're going to get an hour's peace. Your question is, do you go for the double bully special prize and get him in the cot, but risk waking him up? And so, at first, being a parent is about trying to get your child to sleep. And then, as they grow and develop, they start to crawl and walk. And then it changes again. And so, being a parent is less about protecting your child and more about protecting the house. Because it's a moving target, isn't it? And you learn lots of new things. We learned a few days after J Daniel learned to crawl. You're the first, so you're really going to cough for it this morning, Dan. We learned, the first thing we learned was a jam sandwich fits perfectly into the front of a video player. <laughs> now, we learned this two days after Daniel did when we tried to play a videotape. But, but then you, you deal with that and you move everything up in your house, but then it changes again because they start to talk. And at first, you think it's wonderful when they start to talk, don't you? And they say, Mom... And dad, it's great. You spend the first few years teaching them to walk and talk, and the rest of your life telling them, just sit down and shut up. <laughs> but they learn to talk, and it's great, and it's wonderful, until you realize that now you've got them take, to take them places, and now they can talk, they can tell on you. So we, we brought Daniel to church, and everyone thought we were a lovely spiritual family, until Daniel was able to tell them what we were really like. <laughs> when he was about three, I was due to be preaching at the church, we were, uh, we were at at the time, and I was late, and so I bombed it down the motorway and bumped into a policeman who stopped me and pulled me over. Took about 20 minutes, he didn't book me, but he took about 20 minutes to explain to me the dangers of going fast on the motorway, which made me more late for church. So we arrive at church, to which Daniel bursts in and goes, my dad's just been told off by a policeman! <laughs> and please open your Bibles to chapter. <laughs> so when they can talk, and then that was just Daniel, then we got Jamie. Now, everyone knows with Jamie, he has this amazing ability that even when you think he's not listening, his ear is connected to his right arm. You'll see it at the family service. So when Neil says, or Morag says, do we need a volunteer? He doesn't know what it's for. He doesn't know the answer to the question, but his hand goes up. This trait first happened when Jamie was about three. And we were sat in church, or the Sunday school, and the dear lady leading the, the Sunday school, Linda, said, does anybody, do any children know any songs about Jesus? So Jamie's hand goes up and mine and Claire's heart sinks. But you see, Jamie was learning songs, and he was learning songs at church, at home, at playgroup, at nursery, but he didn't necessarily know which song went to which environment. And he was asked to sing a song about Jesus, but that week at, at nursery, he'd been learning the song, What Should We Do With a Drunken Sailor? Now, trying to improvise, the congregation, God bless them, sat through a verse and a half of Jesus, the drunken sailor. <laughs> and so that brings me to the fact that when we talk about being a disciple in relation to Jesus, it's not just for parents because parents bring their kids to church. And we all have to deal with children as part of God's family. How we deal with children as part of God's family is so important and so crucial.
we don't have junior church on at the moment through August, as Ian just said. We're giving our children's workers a rest. So we have all our young people with us this morning. If you're below, 16 or below, would you stand up for me? If you Stand up for me if you're below, 16 or below. It's such an excitement to stand up, I can fence it. If you, you can stand up with your mom and dad. Okay, so these are some of our young people that we're talking about, children and young people. What would be good? Shall we meet some of them? Okay. Who's the youngest? I'm guessing over here. If you could just tell us your name, what you like, what school you go to. What's your name? This is Annie. Annie, and how old is Annie? Uh, five and a half months. Five and a half months old. Sleeping? Don't. <laughs> okay, moving on. Reuben. Reuben, tell everyone your name. Reuben. Good answer, well done. Shall I turn this mic on? So yeah, you go. How old are you, Reuben? Reuben. Ah, I got you there. Six and a half. Six and a half. The half is really important at your age, isn't it? Yes. And what school do you go to? Do you remember your name of your school? Or can you remember your teacher's name? Oh, I'll come back to you. Oh, is it a new teacher? Ah, oh, so you don't, haven't seen her yet, have you? Or him? In a few weeks' time, you'll see your new teacher, yeah? Thinking about it. Good lad. Okay. Other end of school. Cam, you can hold that. Age? 16. School, where, where are you up to? Uh, just going to start in September at um, Pendleton College, just over there. Brilliant. And GCSE results this week? What, do you want them all? <laughs> if it's not too much trouble, I know it's a, 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 great, a great strain to recite eight, uh, eight numbers and letters in your own time. Say them all? Yeah, why not? Oh, okay. Do we want uh, to hear them all? English, no, they don't, actually. Sit, no, go on then. English language, I've got an eight. Uh, Woohoo! In English literature, I got a seven. Wait. Maths, I got a five. Um, science, both sciences, I got a C. Uh, ICT, I got an A. PE, I got a B. Uh, geography, I got a B. History, I got a C. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, and something called ECDL, I got a distinction in that. So. That's fantastic. Give a round of applause, isn't that brilliant? Okay, this side of the room. Erin, you have that. How old are you? 13. And what year are you in at school? Uh, I'm going into year nine. So that's the third year of secondary school, is that yeah. right? Yeah. So you're starting your GCSEs next year? Well, we start, like, doing them. Like, I've already picked my options, so we start doing it this what year. What have you picked? Um, history, Spanish, music, and triple science. Brilliant. Well done. Okay. Let's go to you two gents here. Which would like the mic? Tell everyone your name first, because you haven't been coming along. Um, my name's Golding Michaela. And? David Michaela. <laughs> and how old are you both? Fifteen. <laughs> I was going to talk to little people to make me feel tall, and it's all gone really, really wrong. <laughs> so what, what year are you guys in at school? Going into year 11. So you're just about to start your GCSE, your final year of GCSEs, yeah? Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Confident? Yes. Confident? Yes. Brilliant. Fair enough. Thank you very much, gents. 
Tell everyone your name. Uh, I'm uh, Vincent. And your age? I'm uh, fif- 15. Are you sure? <laughs> we, can, we can check if you want. Okay, so you're got, got, are you going into your last year of school as well? Uh, last, I'm going into year 11 this September. So you're just about to start your final year of GCSEs? Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Give them a round of applause. You can sit down, guys. We'll hear a bit more from them later. But those are just some of the young people that we've got that are at different stages of life from five and a bit months old, sleeping beautifully all throughout the night, no problem to mom whatsoever, right through to Camp, who's done absolutely brilliantly, gone right through school. Different life experiences, different stages, different things. But how we respond, how they respond as disciples, and how we respond as disciples, well, we all have a duty of care. We've had a few dedication services recently. After Neil has talked to the parents, he turns to the congregation, he reads a paragraph which says, Do you as members of this church acknowledge and accept the responsibility together with parents of of teaching and training these children so that being brought up in discipline and instruction of the Lord may be led in due time to trust Christ as Savior and confessing him as Lord in baptism be made a member of his church? If so, will you signify your acceptance of this responsibility by standing? All of us accept, don't we, that we have a responsibility as disciples to help encourage, help grow, and help mature the people around us. And so the story that, the story that we read earlier, well, it's a kind of a familiar story now, isn't it? It's Jesus surrounded by a big crowd of people ministering and talking to the people. We've heard it all the way through Mark. In verse 13 and 14, it said, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. In my mind, and there's no biblical basis for this, but this is how I sort of imagine it, it's kind of a bit like the disciples were there doing crowd control, yeah? Jesus was there trying to deal with all these people, and you've got some guys there. Let me give you a picture. Stand up, gents. Jesus, disciples, crowd control, yeah? Dealing with it all. Thank you. (laughs) Any problems, I'll give them a shout. You can throw them out. And so these people are bringing and coming for prayer with Jesus, and then people start bringing children. And in my mind, I can see the disciples sort of stepping across and saying, whoa, whoa, hang on, what are you doing? No, no, where you go? Adults only. We haven't got time. There was a time it set aside uh, when people, on the Day of Atonement when people would bring children to the elders for a blessing, but we don't think that this was that day. So it was kind of a bit counterculture for them to start bringing children like this. And we don't know why the disciples said it. Maybe the disciples felt that Jesus was too busy to be dealing with the children. Maybe he thought that Jesus was too, they thought that Jesus was too important or it was more important that Jesus spent his time communicating and talking with the adults. Maybe there were sick people there and they thought it was more important that sick people got prayer and got healed than Jesus just blessing children. They were basically reacting from their culture. In the culture at the time, children were, quite frankly, extremely low in the pecking order. Rob told us that a few weeks ago. Although they'd have been loved by the families, really in society, children didn't have a voice. And so we see the disciples in what seems almost like reasonable arguments, responding from their culture and understanding and saying, well, hang on a second, there's more important people here There's more important things than children. 
And we hear the language is quite strong. It says Jesus was indignant. It's the only time in the gospel where that phrase is used. It's almost like vexed, aroused, angry. Jesus is quite cross with his disciples because I wonder if he thought, have I not told you time and time again, I'm here for the vulnerable. I'm here for the people that everyone else over overlooks. I'm here for the people that are marginalized. As far as Jesus was concerned, he was there for everybody. There was no priority in who could come and who couldn't come. Jesus wasn't happy with one human being rated more highly than another. He wasn't happy with the weak being blocked or restricting those and the rights of those people. Jesus was indignant. We see it time and time again, whether it was tax collectors, whether it was other marginalized groups, whether it was the sick. Jesus was interested in everybody. As far as Jesus is concerned, everyone here has equal standing in terms of their ability to come and talk to Jesus and meet Jesus. And so Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Again, in my mind, back to my picture, disciples doing crowd control, they stand in the way and block the way to Jesus. And I can almost see Jesus saying, no, let the children come. Let the children, don't hinder them. Let them come. Almost Jesus is saying, make a way, make a path so that they can get to me. Make a way for them. And as church, the message is still the same. That's why we have junior church out the back, because we want to make a way for all our young people to access through to Jesus. We want to make a path as clear and as easy and as open so that they can be apart. We always ensure that the, the, the younger people are with us at the start of the service because we want them to be part of us, but we also want to make a path for them. And we want to teach them that G, as far as Jesus is concerned, everybody is accepted, that Jesus loves everyone. And if we as disciples are working out what it means to be like Jesus, it means that we love everyone and that we accept everyone. Jesus wanted the disciples to make a way, to make a path for the children to get through. And he says, do not hinder them. Don't get in the way. Don't hinder them. Don't block the path. Let them come through. Don't get in the way. And the message to us is still the same. How is it though? The disciples could physically block the way to Jesus. They could hinder that path. Now, we can't do that, but in what way as church do we sometimes hinder us? What way do we sometimes block the way? Well, it's what we, when we don't demonstrate the things that we're teaching them in junior church. When we teach them that everyone's loved and everyone's accepted, but then in our behavior, we don't follow it through. When we do the do as I say and not as I do. When we criticize and when we're intolerant, Maybe as parents in our homes, we don't show the love, the patience, and the grace that we teach them about. Maybe as a group together, when something happens in church, someone says something or does something that we don't like, maybe we don't show that everyone's lo loved and gracious. Maybe it's mom and dad getting in the car on the way home and having an argument or criticizing what went on at church. Make a way for them. Don't get in the way. Don't hinder them. There's a great quote that says, no matter how well polite and generous you try and bring up your children, they will still grow up like the parents. And you know, as church, culture is a massively powerful thing. The culture that we create here has a massive influence on all of us and our children alike. Children, young people, everybody is important to Jesus. And we all have a duty of care to ensure that we make as clear a pathway to allow people to come 
to Jesus and we don't hinder. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. They're on the job training, moves forward, and not only does he tell them how they've got to behave towards the young children, but he also tells them as disciples what they will learn from the children being part of the family of God. He says in verse 15, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus says, unless you can behave like one of these children, you're not even going to get into the kingdom of heaven. What did he mean by that? Well, we refer to it as having a childlike faith. What do we mean by a childlike faith? Well, an uncomplicatedness, an openness, and an innocence to accept the things of God without our adult mind getting in the way. And so, with great trepidation, we're going to get the kids to help us learn what it means to have a childlike faith, I really hope. Now, remember I said kids don't always say what you want them to say. So I'll just say the bit afterwards, hopefully. Okay. Let's try and illustrate a principle. One of you boys there. Let me come and talk to you. Don't worry, it's not too bad. Okay, you hold that. Can you hold that? You stay there, you're okay. Stay there, you're mom. What's your favorite dinner? If you were going to go home today and mom and dad said, you can have anything you want for dinner, what would you choose? Can you think of anything? Say it nice and loud. Spaghetti. Spaghetti. Okay, you like spaghetti. Who makes the spaghetti, your mom or your dad? Is it mom makes spaghetti? Would you know how, how much it costs to make that spaghetti? If you had to go to the shop and buy it, would you know what to buy? It's okay if you don't. I don't, I, I don't think I'd know what to do or buy to make spaghetti. I'd have to get Claire to do it. Okay. Spaghetti. Anybody else got younger children that would like to tell them what their favourite dinner is? Or their favourite restaurant to go to? If mum and dad say... My favourite restaurant's Burger and Lobster in Manchester. I like the lobster roll with calamari. <laughs> Not a cheap date. Not a cheap date. If someone gave you the ingredients, would you know how to cook that meal that they cook for you? Well, I'm going to say, if he cooked it, would you be prepared to eat it? Yes. Ooh. Fair enough. Okay. Um, Adam. Hold that. Okay. Where do you live? Just down the road. Just down the road. Cool. Keep it vague, well done. Safeguarding, well done. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, you live with your mom and dad. Mom and dad, raise your hand. It could get ropey for you in a minute, but don't worry. When do your mom and dad, what day of the month do your mom and dad have to pay the mortgage for your house? Would you have any idea at all? No. No? No? Good answer. March. March? If you only make one payment a year. Thank you. Ian will be available for financial advice later. Um, who else? Let's see. Daniel, you can have this one. Oh, no, sorry. What's your name, pal? I've not talked to you. Uh, David. 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 There you go. Okay, David. How did you get to church today? By car. By car. Okay. 
How much does it cost to fill your car with petrol? Do you have any idea? If you don't, it's fine. It's 20 pounds. 20 pounds? Okay. 40. Fair enough. Good answer. Well done. Okay. The reason I asked the guys those questions, up there I've put a picture of food, which is supposed to mention our provision, people, our relationships, and our home where we live. When I asked the guys, how, do they, you know, how would you prepare spaghetti? Or how much does it cost to buy it? Or how, when does the mortgage get paid? How much does it cost to fill a car with petrol? It was really unfair, wasn't it? Because quite frankly, none of these guys, I certainly wouldn't know that. I probably don't know the answers to my own house on some of them, to be honest. But you wouldn't expect these guys at that age to know that, would you? Because when you talk about where does your food come from, who do you live with, who provides your house, the answer is mom or dad. No, no worry, they don't, they're not fretting their lives over when the next mortgage payment is going to be paid or if it can be paid. They're not fretting over whether the shopping's in. They accept that the things that they need, mom and dad will provide. And that's what Jesus meant by a childlike faith. The Bible tells us, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? How many of us spend our time worrying about those things? I know I do at times. And, and stressing about what we're going to do and working out our finances. Now, there's nothing wrong. At the end, I'm not saying that we become Christians and God takes care of everything and we do nothing. The, child, the guys, to get their meals at home, they may have to empty the dishwasher. They may have to um, do, do other things. <laughs> Lay the table. Tell our boys to do a lot, can't you? Um, Appeal the sports, yeah. Or the food they get, they might want spaghetti every night, but they have to have salad some nights. So they, but, you know, the needs are met. They might not get their wants. They may be involved in bringing those things around, but they know that mom or dad or whoever takes care of them will deal with it. You and I have a heavenly father that takes care of our needs. And we have to have that complete, and not just so much so that really we shouldn't be stressing about it. Yeah, we have to think about it. Yeah, we have to work and we're involved in the process. But we know that the Bible tells us that God will take care of all our needs. Okay, next one. Have I left that on, Becky? Sorry. Jamie, you can do it with this one. Stand up. Take the microphone. Don't let me down. No pressure. Okay. Just get ready with the mute button, okay? Okay, who's your best friend at school? Morgan. Morgan. He is, yeah. How do you get on with Morgan? You never fall out with Morgan. We sometimes fall out. You do sometimes fall out. In quite a big way, you'd have to be said sometimes. No. Are you friends with him at the moment? Yes. So what happens when you fall out? Uh, we'll try and make friends again. We try and make friends again. Okay. Any other shorter people want to tell me about their friends or not friends? One of the things we learned early on, being parents, Claire and I, particularly with Morgan, who could, have who could have featured quite heavily in this sermon, I have to say, is that when our boys have an argument or a fallout with someone else's kids, the worst thing sometimes to do is to rush around and have the debate with their parents. Because Morgan's parent is called Mark, and he's a friend of mine. I coach football with him. And what can happen is I can go to Mark and say, well, this has happened, you know, we need to sort it. And Mark will actually surprise and have a completely different version of events. 
And what happens is that I'm saying, well, actually, this happened. Well, no, actually, this happened. And what can end up happening is Mark and I can end up falling out or being a bit awkward. I go home and Jamie will say, can Morgan come round to play? I thought you weren't friends. Oh, no, we're friends now. It's all okay. Children have a great ability to forgive and move on. You know, children, all through the learning process, they learn by trial and error, don't they? There's no four, three or four-year-old learning to feed himself will say, oh, I can, never, I can never have a go at that again. I dropped the carrots on the floor and made a mess. That's it. I'm never trying that again. They learn to forgive themselves. They move on. They fall out with their friends, but they forgive them and they move on. A childlike faith. Don't hold grudges. Forgive and forget. And even the ability to forgive themselves when things go wrong or they mess up. Another thing that we learn from children. Okay, guys, easy question this time. Best present you've ever had? Jamie, best present you've ever had? MacBook. MacBook. Best present you've ever had? Jesus entering my life. Good answer. And I'll sit down now because I'm not going to top it. Good lad. Anybody else? Yes. My tablet. Your, your tablet. Okay, yeah. Who bought you your tablet? Your dad. Why did he buy you your tablet, do you think? Had you been really good? It was your birthday. And, okay. Well, when it was my birthday, your dad never bought me a tablet. <laughs> did anybody, did, did Gildas buy anybody else a tablet? <laughs> why did Gilda, why did, why did, why did dad, it's going badly here, isn't it? Why did, why did he buy you a tablet and not me, do you think? Because you don't need one. Why do you think? Because you're an adult. Because I'm an adult, good answer. He's not my dad, is he? You've all seen videos on the internet. I was going to show a video of Daniel, but I thought I'd embarrassed him enough. And you've all seen these sort of videos. You've got them stored away, or your friends have showed you them. And it's normally a video of a very dark, grimly lit room. Mom and Dad normally look like this because they've been woken up at 5 o'clock on Christmas morning or the child's birthday, and a child manically tearing open a present, yeah? And whatever present it is, whether it's something they're expecting or whether it's a surprise, they're so excited and they're whooping around and whatever. On that video, you never see the, the four-year-old child open it. Got me tablet. Oh, mom and dad, you shouldn't have. This is too much. They never say that, do they? Or they never say, well, how much does this cost? You shouldn't have spent this on me. Or they don't say, well, I wasn't good yesterday. I don't deserve this. They don't, do they? They grab it. They look at it. They play with it. They use it. It's theirs. It's a gift from mom and dad. No one else can take it away. It's a gift. They haven't had to earn it. They've got it. Because dad loves them and dad bought them a tablet. Children know how to accept and receive gifts. 2 Peter 1 uh, verses 3 to 4, it's from the message. It says, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received we are also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you your tickets to participation in the life 
God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. What that's saying is God has given us everything we need in life to live the life he wants us to, to please him and serve him. But you know, sometimes, like never happens in children's videos, we turn around and say, oh, I don't deserve that. Or we try and look for the strings that are attached. We try and look, have we deserved it? And sometimes we even just put it to one side as if we don't, it's not ours, it's not being given. But it's a free gift that's being given to us by God our Father. Not that we've earned it, not that we even deserve it, but a Father that gives us gifts. Earlier in the week, I, um, I put on Facebook, if you had a picture of yourself or your child when they were younger, would you send it to me? So, there's a picture of six people. If your picture's up there, please don't say. But let's have, try and guess. Top right. Top right. Would anybody like to hazard a guess? Looks like I'm about to kill them. Top, top right. Anybody want to guess? Morag? Could be Morag. Is that you? No. Anybody else? Go on, Jamie. My mom. It's your mom. That's Claire. Okay, I'm regretting the thing about a dot. I'm going to shoot them now. Okay. Um, bottom left. Anybody got any ideas? Reuben. Good answer. Well done. It is Reuben. Um, top left. Top left. No. Yes, Henry. Well done. Okay, um, middle bottom. No, they are here this morning, this person. Who, sorry? Annie, is that you? Me? No, no, no. No, not Annie. No. If it's your photo, would you please stand up? Mr. Lagoo. <laughs> Bottom right. Bottom right. Any takers? Bottom right. He does a mean version of Jesus the drunken sailor. It's Jamie. And top middle. Anybody? Well, I've cheated, to be honest. Because they're not here, and they're not part of our church. It's Billy Graham. What? <laughs> this is a trick question. It's Billy Graham. What I'm trying to show you is, it's very hard, isn't it, to look at children and know how they're going to grow up. We can't, even amongst our five people there that we all know, it's very hard to recognize the person they are now from a child. And so I wonder who what they thought Billy Graham was going to do, what he was going to achieve, but someone invested in him, someone valued him, someone made a pathway to Jesus for him, didn't hinder him and encouraged him. And he had a phenomenal ministry changing many people's lives. What does it mean to be a disciple around children? Well, it shows us 
that everyone is important. It shows us when coming to, with regards to coming to Jesus, everybody has equal rights and everybody has equal standing. Together we all make up God's family. And each and every one of us has a duty to ensure that we make a pathway, that we try and make a way that points people to Jesus, whether they're young, old, vulnerable, whoever. It shows us that we have to trust our Heavenly Father, just like a child trusts his mom or dad to provide food, somewhere to live. It's not even in doubt. The question doesn't even come into the mind that mom or dad would let them down. Having children as part of our church family teaches us and examples to us about forgiving ourselves and about forgiving other people, that we don't hold grudges. And children are a brilliant generation that shows us how to receive. The simple fact is that every single one of us here is here because of the generations that went before us, that sowed into our lives, that sowed into this fellowship here, that showed us a path to Jesus and didn't hinder us. People that invested in us. And if we want what we do here, the Salford Elim Church, to continue, we have to invest in the next generation. For that next generation, young people, we say we value you and we love you and you are part of us. And we will cheer with you when you do well and we'll commiserate with you when things don't go well. But we're here and we want to help you and example a way to Jesus and we want you to example that to us as well. Because the truth is, we're all part of God's family. I think what would be really good if the musicians want to come back, if, we, if the guys that are involved in working in the kids' work here, they're going to be starting, would just stand up. I think it would be really good to pray for our children's workers, so Morag, Andrew, Alex, yep, Claire, anyone who's involved out the back. If you're stood next to someone or sat near someone that stood up, would you go and stand with them and we'll pray together that what they invest in our kids' lives will make a difference, not just for this generation, but will go on for generations to come. Father God, we thank you that you've placed us all in a family. You've placed us alongside each other so that we can learn and that, so that we can grow and we can develop a greater understanding of what it means to be a disciple as we learn from each other. Father God, I pray for, especially for our children's workers and youth workers who work so hard, making that pathway as clear as possible, showing them spiritual principles that will guide them in our fellowship, but also in the lives for the years to come. And Lord, help each and every one of us to demonstrate and live out the principles that we teach, that this would be a culture where everyone feels valued, everyone feels accepted, and everybody knows they have a place. And for the young people themselves, we pray a blessing on them, that as in the next week or so they go back to school, college, university, wherever they go, that your presence will go with them, that you'll guide them and strengthen them, that in times when they face peer pressure and all the different things that they have to navigate through, that you will be the anchor, that you will be the focus for them, and that they will learn what it means to be a disciple and follow you. Amen.